Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline today, joined by Ben Zaniello, who uh, a local, another local Kentuckian, um, leaves some point in life, and so uh, we've been chit-chatting back and forth now for about almost two years, I, I think, about a year and a half, two years, um, about different types of things, health information exchanges, and so I wanted to grab him to talk about something that many of us don't realize, and that's the potential role in integration of health information exchanges, um, ways that we can share data. I mean, we've all got the examples. Um, stay in Lexington where there's five hospitals within a, a couple of miles of each other of folks coming in from emergency room to emergency room, not realizing that hospitals don't communicate often and, or don't have any way of, of seeing other data and to where we're redoing paperwork, we're redoing evaluations, we're not able to get integral information that we need. People are more mobile than ever. The brand loyalty that we see in hospitals isn't necessarily as intact as it was. People, you know, based on waiting times may choose to go to another hospital just to get a shorter waiting time, not realizing the, the potential detriments of not having that information. And so I wanted to bring you in here and talk about that. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role now that has you as, a, as an expert in this area. Sure. Howdy, Ryan. Thank you uh, for having me. Again, Ben Zaniello. I'm currently uh, the chief medical officer for a uh, company called Collective Medical that works in the HIE space. Uh, but I've only been doing that for the last year. For years and years, I've been working in healthcare informatics, which is why I know that when you said the word HIE, anybody that's involved in healthcare informatics may have reached to silence us because people find it a painful discussion because, frankly, a lot of, uh, a lot of the possibility and the use cases that make people excited about healthcare information exchange have yet to be manifest, uh, really, in most places. It's, it's been a, a minefield littered with well-intended uh, government grants and uh, some seemingly exciting opportunities uh, that haven't created the value that you talked about. In other words, that when a patient walks into your emergency room, they expect you to know a lot more about them than you actually do, which is frustrating. Give us an idea behind, um, for those that don't understand uh, an HIE, Health Information Exchange, give us an idea of how it works and the goal purpose uh, of those programs. Sure. Uh, up front, it seems pretty simple, which is that uh, you want information to follow the patient. So when we talk about patient-centered care, the idea is that when a patient walks into your emergency room or your primary care office or really any site of service, urgent care, OBS, et cetera, that you, from the moment they walk in, you know most of the important things about them from a healthcare perspective. Are they on a blood thinner? Are they taking a psychiatric medication? Um, are they... Uh, have multiple practitioners in different places that they have a cardiologist here and they're doing dialysis here. All those pieces of information that patients sometimes know, but frankly don't always understand the detail of, um, you would like them, you would like to know about them and they would like you to know about it. And that would ostensibly be the role of a healthcare information exchange, what we love to call an HIE, which is that this data would be somewhere and you would have access to it. Uh, Unfortunately, the gap often is, is sometimes that data exists um, 
but it's always siloed. So you mentioned, you know, Lexington, Kentucky with multiple health systems. This is certainly true in most areas of the country. Uh, I uh, did the latter half of my training and currently live in Seattle. In Seattle, Washington, you have the county hospital, Harborview. You have a large medical system, Swedish, and then you have um, a third independent hospital, Virginia Mason. They are all within a half mile of each other. But heretofore, there has been very limited data share between mm -hmm. these three entities. And so, frankly, uh, you see the good and bad of that in the sense that uh, the, the, the good in the sense that patients go to multiple places and you use your medical relationships to try to get data on them. And then the bad is there's, frankly, some abuse involved with people being aware that we're not sharing information between these uh, hospitals. But the end result of having a lack of data share between the, those hospitals or in Lexington or really anywhere in the country means we do a lot of the same things two times, three times, and not uh, out of medical necessity, which we really want that to drive care, but due to medical uncertainty. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't, we don't know what we don't know. And the cases that I see that, that I wish I had it are, are the cardiac patients, the patients who come in that have a cardiologist at another hospital, have had cardiac evaluations, but I can't see and they can't remember what their cath report or when it was exactly. They say it was two years ago, but actually it was 12. Or they say it was clean, but it had a 65% lesion. Or they said there was blockage and there was nothing more than a 5 or 10% lesion. You know, for me, that case is the one where I'm having to do a complete cardiac evaluation again, having to retread a lot, admit the patient uh, to get an evaluation and consultations. And so I think having that would be, you know, not only because of where the patient's being seen, but also that significant data in somebody with a chronic medical condition. And we aren't expecting them to, you know, we don't think they're going to remember, you know, bring a medication list with you. So why, how am I going to expect them to remember all the details of their last cath report, stress test, what type it was, when it was, where it was performed? and what the, the minute details were in there. In Kentucky, we had a health information exchange, or we still do, but the issue we had was that nobody used it. And so the information that was in there was limited at best, and the data that was in there was rarely of any use. And it sounds like that that's kind of a, a systemic issue that these are being placed in without any types of legitimate functional plan as to how they're going to be used. Yeah, I mean, you bring up so many good points. I mean, one is the absolute classic case where that information can at the you know, potentially save lives, but certainly save a lot of money and a lot of time. I mean, you know, the patients we see don't necessarily want to be admitted to the hospital, but if you go back to that dichotomy of medical necessity versus medical uncertainty, the cardiac workup is, is a perfect example whereby if you had access to those other pieces of information or frankly even just an old EKG that you could say the pathology I'm seeing related to this pain is old pathology and therefore I can feel confident that I don't have an active STEMI or, or have the medical uncertainty say I'm going to have to admit this person because 
I don't know if they have a cardiologist that could see them tomorrow morning to do the outpatient stress test, mm -hmm. so I need to admit them to do the inpatient stress test. Everybody loses here in the sense that it, it's a huge cost in the system. The patient it has to, again, spend the night in the hospital with the cost and, and the potential risk that inpatient hospital stays. Uh, can ensue. So those all exist. But you also touched on a really good point I'd love to get to, which is just the, the, the old approach to health information exchange was always a little bit the field of dreams, build it and someone will come. And at least in my company, we like to talk about the idea of we need to make HIE and health information exchange not a noun, but a verb in the sense that it's not, not enough to have the data somewhere because we always had the data somewhere. It was just mm -hmm. at another hospital, et cetera. But now we've jammed it into a portal, but you have to go and access that portal. Um, you have to know your password. This is the same problem we see with prescription drug monitoring databases so often, that there is an obligation to go away from your EMR, which, by the way, has its own intrinsic complexities where you have to splunk it to find good patient data, and then go to a second place, remember your password and get that. So I think really the hallmark of the buzzword here is really actionability, which is not only to have the health information available to you about that patient, but have it right in front of you. So in the emergency room, you can see that data and right before you go see a patient and have you have it drive your care. I, you just got me thinking about that just, um, you know, this last week I had somebody sent to the emergency room with an EKG with the report that the EKG was changed was different and but of course didn't send the EKG and the office was closed didn't have anybody to communicate with and I had no record of any EKGs to know though then I was able to dig one up that was always that it's always had T-wave inversion some abnormalities on it and baseline so probably wasn't new or different but I didn't have it to compare it to to know so we the 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 person gets an entire cardiac workup on something that was probably, you know, normally abnormal for that patient. So um, nothing new, nothing different, and probably didn't even need a workup. Probably didn't need to, didn't need to be in the emergency department. But because of that information not being, you know, readily available, um, it 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 added cost, it added time, and it's honestly in the system that we have now, um, it's it's difficult to do. I mean, it's it's stuff we need to figure out ways to um, to pare down and become more efficient. So tell us, give us some examples of when this works, how this works, um, when when implemented properly. Sure. the The hallmark of it is really to make it as easy as possible. And when I say easy, I mean easy on everyone. So it's not just making it uh, easy on the physicians to use, but you want to make it easy for the hospitals to implement within their kind of limited time and uh, budget from an IT perspective. But you want to get all the care providers involved. So you mentioned EKGs. So that's a great example. A lot of the sick cardiac patients have active cardiology relationships, sometimes within large medical groups, sometimes mom and pop, but they have a lot of this information. The majority of our patients, um, you know, including Kentucky, the, uh, the Kentucky is obviously sometimes a tougher case, have are uh, actively uh, in a health plan. And those of the, the sickest in those health plans will have care and case management resources assigned to them. Now, of course, 
that doesn't help us in the ED necessarily unless we know they have that case and care management resources, unless as part of that information that we see right before we see the patient, we learn this is a Humana patient that is under active case management for their congestive heart failure. And here is some limited information of the patient. And if you want more, here's how to get that information. That filling that delta of information, that gap in information, can be hugely helpful. The, the second piece of it, and what we've done a lot in, in Washington State, is focus around care plans. And again, a sick patient is gonna have a case manager to the health plan. They'll probably have some sort of case or care manager within a large health system. They may have a behavioral health specialist. They may have a cardiologist. They may have a diabetic educator. They have all these members of their care team that traditionally are taking great care of them, but totally within the silo of their own specialty or their own sphere of influence. And the opportunity in what we've done in Washington State and Oregon and a bunch of other states is allow everyone to access the same record, put in care plans, and we're not talking kind of four page, you know, the, totally focused around the social determinants of health in every piece of the patient's lives, but bulleted, uh, care pieces of care information that will aid at that site of service and in particular the ED. So this is, we've mentioned EKD, EKGs, but things around paid contracts. For behavioral health patients, this is things like they may have a substance abuse problem, but they also are bipolar with psychotic features. And here is a specific drug cascade, starting with the uh, lanzapine and going to Haldol that is specific to this patient. A lot of that data already exists for so many of the patients we see today. It's just unfortunately locked away in, you know, in the olden days we used to talk about being the filing cabinet, you know, in a medical record. Well, great, we did all these EMRs, but now it's just locked away in somebody's data storage and not accessible. So the opportunity to share this among all members of the care ecosystem just means much, much better patient care. Who is involved in terms of the, the data addition to the system. I mean, are we talking just hospitals, hospitals, clinics, outpatient settings? Um, how one, whose data is in there, and two, how do you make sure that that data is actually in there? Because in Kentucky, it's there, but nobody's putting the data into it. Right. So step one, we always say, is with the hospital systems, and frankly, with the uh, emergency department, because it really is the tip of the spear. There is a belief that, from a cost perspective, that EDs make a huge uh, make up a huge percentage of the cost in uh, medical utilization. In fact, that's not true at all. But what they are great at doing from a utilization perspective is identifying people that have been ill-served by the system, that mm -hmm. don't have a primary care doc. So we always say start with the EDs, which means starting with the hospital systems, because once the hospitals, which again in communities are the lighthouses, they really are reflecting the center for care. You start there, and then once those uh, EDs and hospital systems are sharing data, then it's much easier to go to the community-based organizations to go to the primary care clinics and say, wouldn't you like to be notified when your patients are in the emergency room? And you have spent a 30 years of your life caring for this particular geriatric patient. Uh, you have a care plan, you have end of life uh, uh, calls, maybe you have a, a pulse, a, um, 
opportunity for them. You have all this information. We're going to give you a place to put it. And you know that when they are seen in the emergency room, that is the first thing that physician will see before they see them. And that, again, goes away from the field of dreams. You build it, they will come. It makes it actionable. People get excited and the, the rising tide begins. The interesting aspect is the fact that the VA has probably had this the best for years. Of course, their system was hideously antiquated and, and very cumbersome. I mean, I always remember the uh, VA H&Ps from med school and residency that were 50 pages long because I, I knew that if he had ever fired, a, you know, if this, if this veteran had ever fired an M1 grant, um, you know, exactly what he's done or, you know, all that other data that's in there that wasn't necessary. But at the same time, you know, if they had been to any VA facility throughout the country, I was able to get that data, to mine that data. Um, to, so that veteran moves here and they say, okay, I've had all of my care out of, uh, just say, Texas. And we were able to get that data and pull that data in to know where he has been and what he's had done and, and kind of, and not be retreading, you know, inventing new roads when roads already exist. And I, I find that to be the opportunity for these. And, you know, I, I have hopes, high hopes, that Kentucky is going to implement a functional health information exchange. Um, so how do we implement, get these programs implemented? Because, because it's clearly, you know, it seems like two significant levels of buy-in. And that is from the, the administrative, legislative side of things, so on the state level. And then on the hospital levels of being willing to interact and, ex and, and put insert data and do all of these things that are necessary to populate the data within the system. So great question. Uh, I have found both personally and in my latest work that there is single no greatest advocate than a passionate doctor in particular. Uh, an ED physician. So speaking from kind of my company's perspective, our greatest successes have when we are led by uh, ASAP, an ASAP physician in a state or in a region that says, I absolutely need to have this data. And they are often the people that can get through all that administrative, frankly, red tape that exists. I mean, one of the complexities in this process is for mostly good reasons, hospitals have been resistant to share data. We, you know, we often joke that they all have a full-time privacy officer whose job is to say no to projects like this. That's their job, just to say no. And uh, the important thing is you get that person in a room with that ED champion that explains why this makes sense. Uses example why you talked about you talked about with the VA. We talk about the cardiac example, pain contracts, all these things that if we share them uh, share them more, we will be able to create better care. And then frankly, you have the CFO in the room to talk about how it'll also you'll save money. You'll actually do a better site of service. You'll get a better commercial payer in your ED. Etc. You won't be admitting uh, these types of patients. That actually will generate ultimately enough excitement, enough momentum to uh, get this to happen. But as much as it can be done on a regional level, and and ASAP's terrific at doing this. You touched a little bit on it, but what are the things that are standing in our way? I mean, it, it seems like like so many things in government, um, and, and actually, it seems anything in life. 
great ideas and common sense don't always rule the day. So what is standing in the way of implementation of functional health information exchanges? Sure. Um, so one is just understanding HIPAA. I, I, I always put that first. I mean, I'm, again, the chief medical officer of my uh, company, but I feel like I'm, uh, I play lawyer because probably over half my time is spent on this privacy issue. Uh, we understand as a country HIPAA to be focused on patient privacy when, in fact, the P in HIPAA is for portability. And it was actually really designed for laying out clearly how it's possible to share data between uh, health systems, between health plans, be between basically everyone in the care continuum. So I think that's really important to, to, to remember that, that we have to get past this piece, again, that privacy officer, because that often is what stands in the way is this concern, well, is the data safe? Am I allowed to do this? You know, Ryan, it's actually funny you mentioned the VA because the VA internally to them have had that data share before mm -hmm. anyone else. But actually by federal statute, the VA cannot share that information with anyone else. So as a result, ironically, um, again, my, my company is in 100% of Oregon and Washington hospitals except for the VA and the military bases because mm -hmm. it is the Department of Defense rule. Now, that's, there is a legislation, uh, Joe Manchin in um, West Virginia has introduced legislation to allow the VA to participate in HIEs like this. Um, but ironically, they, they heretofore have not been allowed to. Interestingly, the VA is, as much as uh, I love what they do for our veterans, they've always been kind of a, a, a completely separate entity. So when we're talking about EMS-related issues and diverts and everything in, in Lexington, it applies to everybody except the VA because they, they, they fall under their own uh, special, set, uh, special set of rules. And I, I think for as much as we are seeing more and more of our veterans in community hospitals and tertiary care hospitals because of some of the limitations in services that are there, the specialty services, the subspecialty services, and honestly the personal choices of the veterans, I think it's going to be more and more important for that information to be made available so we can see that it's there and know what's been done so far. Um, because it's, it is, if you've ever tried to get data from a VA on a patient that's in your emergency department, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, it's kind of like trying to get information from a, a patient's primary care clinic at midnight on a Saturday night. It's just, it's not going to happen either. And that's exactly what happened to me with that case of that abnormal EKG is primary care sent the patient into the emergency department as soon as they closed at, at you know, 4.30 p.m. And by this time, it's 6.30 or 7 p.m. And the on-call doctor doesn't know anything about the patient and doesn't have access to the record. So nobody can tell me what the actual concern was. And, uh, you know, the, the response says, well, didn't they call you? No, no, I don't believe I hardly ever get calls to explain why something's happening the way it is. And so then we're stuck there doing a multi-thousand dollar workup on a patient that may or may not need it, but we can't take that chance. 
it's again, it's ironic in in all that we do with technology today, sharing information and people's openness with Facebook and Twitter. I, I feel like I can know more about what's happening with an activist in Turkey than I can about the patient in front of me due to the in limitations both from HIPAA, but again, mostly around our belief about what we can share and what we can't share, and then the technology to support it. One of the kind of bittersweet parts of uh, emergency medical records is they were, again, set up to make physicians' lives easier, essentially, to codify a lot of what we do uh, and do it in such a way that makes it replicable and easier to access. But they essentially took all the paper and pencil processes we did before and kind of jammed it in and ultimately, as a result, I think has made it hard on all of us. And as a secondary result, there is a lot of skepticism and concern about can technology make our lives better as physicians, create better patient care, because the EMR for a lot of us, I feel, hasn't shown that. Mm -hmm. But I think this next wave of technology, I think what my company does and other companies out there are doing is really exciting because I think we can make patient care better and more importantly, make it easier for physicians to have themselves better lives, but also take better care of their patients. That's all we really want in emergency medicine is we want to take better care of our patients more efficiently, more cost effectively. And, um, you know, I, I, I think a functional health information exchange is one of, the, one of the ways to do that and something we need to strive for. How can folks get uh, in touch with you or get more information? So um, they can reach me a bunch of different ways. Probably the easiest is either to go to my company website, which is Collective, collective Medical Technologies, uh, and it's collectivemedicaltech.com. They can also email me. I'm B-A-Z at collectivemedicaltech.com. Love to hear from people. Again, I'm, I'm passionate about this area. I think we, we can all do better and do better by patients, and I think there's a real opportunity to do so. Are you on the social web? Oh, we are. We have a Twitter handle, but I'm the wrong person to ask about it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, interestingly, I talked to uh, somebody earlier today and said, yes, I have a Twitter account, and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> yeah. So yes. as for us, though, you can contact us on the uh, Twitterage, on the uh, Twitter, um, at Everyday Med. Also like our Facebook page, ASEP Frontline. You can search it out and like that. And uh, we will keep you up to date on the newest releases once a week of ASAP Frontline. I also welcome your emails. Uh, contact me with any thoughts, suggestions, concerns, generalized gripings at youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this is ASAP Frontline.